So I've been doing the Triggered Podcast now for a few weeks, and I figured with Father's Day coming up, we have a great opportunity to sit with the most powerful father in the world. Um, so I have some interesting questions for you. Now, we've had some good fun in the podcast because it gets a little political, obviously, uh, but we want to show a little bit of humor. So I have a couple questions that I think are on all of the minds of our viewers. So the first one, which is the big one also on my mind, is which is your favorite Trump child, and why is it Ivanka? All the same, 100%. 100%? 100%. I'll even say you, only for purposes of this interview. But other than that, all the same. Okay, well, I'm going to remember it. Okay, so that's... Courage is the solution to despair. Reason provides no answers. You know what, what the future will bring. We have to choose despite uncertainty. Wisdom is holding two contradictory truths in our mind simultaneously. Hope and despair. A life without despair is a life without hope. Holding these two ideas in our head is life itself. Are you drinking, man, or one? It doesn't help. No, I suppose not. Can God forgive us? For what we've uh, done to this world. Welcome to Odd's Place, the only source for certified organic home video criticism. It's me, your host. Josh. Today's very special episode is a Marvel-style crossover event with the Very Legal, Very Cool podcast. I appeared on their show to talk about Charles Manson conspiracy theories, and I enlisted Josiah of VLVC to talk about Paul Schrader's First Reformed and the Father's Day special episode of Donald Trump Jr.'s talk show, Triggered. This is a long and weird one, folks, but we covered a lot of ground. We got political, we got theological, and we got uncomfortably personal. Quick note on the audio quality, there is some brief audio distortion in the recording, but this episode is so long you'll forget about it by the end of the show. As always, be sure to like, subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platforms, and check out oddsplice.com for more treats and goodies. Let's get into it. So, I'll get the, I'll get the timer started, so that means this is, it's game time. It's game time, brother. Hell yeah, we're, we're, do, we're doing it. Yeah, it's wild. Um, so Josiah, uh, what what are you about? Who who are you, who and why should we care? Oh no, uh, I don't know about that last part. <laughs> um, I don't know why anybody should care, but I, yeah. So yeah, I'm, my name is Josiah. I'm um, let's see. I guess the best thing to plug is just my podcast. You know, get a relationship between podcasts going. I'm I'm from a podcast called Very Legal, Very Cool, which is just me and my co-host Jared talking about weird stuff we found online uh, and those generally end up being conspiracy theories but they, they don't have to be um, so that's a good time uh, I'm also a musician I've done some stand-up comedy I, I kind of just do lots like mediocrely do a lot of things that's kind of like my my vibe um, I'm an undergrad in college right now which uh, does mean I'm a little I think young for this pot like most of the people in this podcast although um, I also like you know, made poor life decisions, so I'm like two years behind what I should be. I should have graduated like two years ago, but such is life. Um, yeah, and yeah. I so I'm, I'm studying uh, philosophy and history in college, and a minoring in religion. Um, and what I'm about, I guess I don't know. I 
uh, like Josh and I kind of got to know each other through very bizarre like train of of, of uh, connections with Twitter and us both. Well, you you knowing Dean and Matt from the Magnificast. And then being on a really early episode of the Magnificast, and then I started right. following you on Twitter, and <laughs> then ended up having like very bizarre heart to hearts over time. Like, I know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Well, yeah, I don't know why you let me follow your, um, and I don't know why I was interested in following your. Uh, we can cut this your secret Twitter account, but oh yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Right. It became very clear you were, you know, another husky gentleman from the Midwest who grew yeah. up in a certain evangelical subculture. Um, so it was kind of, I don't know, this this is this is the shitty, like, um, uh, non-sort of fraternal or uh, communal definition of, oh God, I'm rambling. Any, but uh, in, in sort of cold terms, it felt like, oh, we're sort of results of the same experiment. You're just like... Mm. You know, you're going under some different conditions. Um, yeah. Which, well, it's it's all it's all just a overly complex way of saying we have a lot of a lot in common. Weirdly enough, and sort of connected yeah. at at the sort of weirdest points of our shared identity. I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what's cool about like I think Twitter and uh, communities that come out of podcasts too. Is it's just like. I mean, it, it kind of is a common experience to be raised evangelical um, and then kind of, like, lose that or find some new version of that and then kind of drifting to the far left. Um, it is kind of common, but I don't seem to know many people who do it in, like, my personal life. But on Twitter, and especially through, like, kind of the community of the Magnificast, I've, I've been able to find a lot of people who had very similar experiences to me growing up, and that's pretty cool. Yeah, man. It's uh, yeah. Listen to the Magnificast. They're they're good boys, and they yeah. <laughs> describe themselves as Christian communists and uh, oh, take that so premise dope. very seriously while still uh, yeah being uh, being very chill. It's it's a it's yeah. a good show. Yeah, I, I suppose we should get to what we're we're doing, what we're actually trying to accomplish here today. So uh, I think kind of based out of me and Josiah's uh, shared identity and, and interests, I kind of wanted his take on Paul Schrader's first Reformed from 2017, Hell 2018. Yeah. I heard, anyway, Paul uh, Schrader's yeah. first Reformed. And uh, a little internet video, or a I think it was a Periscope broadcast or something, uh, anyway, it is the Father's Day special episode of Don Jr.'s weird podcast <laughs> show, Triggered, uh, where he interviews his father, President Donald Trump. I was saying off mic, and I'm going to say again, like, I, I'm really interested to see what thesis brought these two together in your head. And I also cannot express the amount of contempt I have for you right now. <laughs> Having watched First Performed and then an episode of Triggered back to back, like I can't express the just sour taste in my mouth that I had with <laughs> Triggered is not a chaser for First Performed. It was so bad. What the two are combined is a powerful psychic weapon for a very specific subculture in America right now. <laughs> <laughs> but I will I will uh get down to the heart of the matter. I think the the thing that connected these two for me is specifically the scene in First Reformed where Ernst Toller meets with, uh, I forget, uh, Cedric Kyle's character's name. Um, but they're meeting with the, the businessman at the uh, the Totally Organic Pie Cafe. Then 
Toller starts hollering about global warming and then just proceeds to get wrecked by this asshole business guy that's, you know, oh. underwriting the uh, the 250th anniversary of the church that uh, Ernst Toller pastors. Um, so something something about the power dynamics in that scene and then connecting it to sort of an internal document of the Trump family or like a piece of PR uh, yeah. and how they want to be perceived has some interesting uh, resonances and, and uh, I think is getting to the heart of the matter with um, how certain stripes of Christianity tie in with who's ruling the country and how they want to be perceived. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I feel like I wind up doing a lot of episodes where it's a bunch of white guys talking about shit that we... I think have the correct opinions on, but like are not, you know, authoritative voices at all. Um, For sure. <laughs> luckily, I mean, this is a small following podcast. Like it's, you know, it's a group of friends who kind of know people connected to it. So it's kind of hard to take out of context right now, but you know, we're all, yeah. we'll, we're all trying to get that paper. We're all trying to stack up that quiche. Anyway, th I think this is one where, where we're at in our respective lives and journeys i think we're like mm. especially qualified to talk about what's going on yeah, th in, this these, is, yeah. in these films um I i'm not used to feeling qualified to talk about something on a podcast usually i'm like we really shouldn't be talking about this but but i am yeah. uh, so this is kind of a nice feeling actually yeah uh let's let's get into this um so let's i just it, I, yeah. well, trying to establish a little routine here uh let's let's get to the first thing uh elevator pitches i i gotta do mm. like a little musical sting for this at, yeah. at some point that would rock we watched first reformed and triggered josiah in one or two sentences how would you describe okay. any of those movies uh well okay this is a shitty description of, of first reformed but when i've pitched it to people now i would just say it's uh a Calvinist taxi driver. <laughs> That's basically yeah, how um, I pitched it. Um, but I don't know. First Reformed is a movie about f how I took it anyway, about true faith and what true faith represents necessarily like looking for, for real religion rather than um, kind of dead symbolism that no longer represents anything meaningful. And it's a movie about that to me. Um, and then the progressive radicalization that a journey for true religion like looks like. I don't. I don't. That would be maybe my elevator pitch. That for, for triggered um, a screaming existential uh, just like cry for help from Don Junior who really really wants his dad to love him. Um, that's how, that's what that is. Yeah. It's really sad, actually. I don't know. Yeah, it's. Um... I'd I'd pitch triggered as a a a brief yet complete tour of the Trump family id. Oh, absolutely! It's it's a piece of psychology. Is, uh, I honestly, is wish I honestly wish I like knew my Lacan better and stuff like that. Like my really psychoanalytic stuff because there's so much like weird psychoanalytic power dynamic stuff going on in that triggered episode. It's it's really horrific. It's uh, it's something to behold. I I don't think I've been a hundred percent sober either time I've watched it, but it's just ah <laughs> oh, man, you you feel like you're you're trying to grab onto the sort of hot core of the universe, the I, the one had... perfect kernel of truth at the center of everything, and it just it's uh, it's too much. It's it's the damn burning bush, man. 
Like I, I had to like look at my phone, like because it was just too uncomfortable to watch at times. And if I'm ever using Twitter as a palate cleanser, that's a bad sign. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um. So I, I was telling you off mic that I, I feel like I took a similar amount of pages of notes, like. The notes for both of these things are the same. You know, yeah. First Reformed is a two-hour, like, very complicated, very layered movie. And then, mm. you know, this Periscope show that's made to look like, you know, a Fox News um, commentary thing. Uh, you know, it's 21 minutes, but... I think it took me about 45 minutes to watch it, because I was pausing, and I think my coping mechanism was to just meticulously dom um record verbatim stretches of donald trump's ramblings <laughs> uh so oh. i've got like a multiple page like i should i read one of these right now or do yeah want, just or, go or is that too dank <laughs> like, yeah let's do it right now well i think because i remember you talking about reading through the synopsis on on wikipedia for movies and oh. since there isn't a formal uh, you know, synopsis for this Periscope thing. Maybe the synopsis should just be you reading a quote from it. <laughs> yep. Um, okay, so, like, in in the video, uh, it, it goes in some wild directions, but this, this, uh, this particular quote starts uh, by talking about how Biden is bad and will destroy America because he's, mm. uh, he's incompetent. Um, so I'm, I, I, I just want the, the pure form of the language to, to hit everybody. So I'm going to try and read this in like as neutral a tone as possible. <laughs> He's not equipped. He's not equipped. I don't want to go further than that. When you say give me a definition of equipped, I'm not going to give you that definition. But I think <laughs> everyone knows what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about very well. He is in no condition to do it. And everybody knows that. And he's China's dream. When you told me about Osama bin Laden, I'd like to see that because that's an incredible statement. But that's true with China. That's true with everybody. Iran. That's true with North Korea. Look what I've done. North Korea. We would be in a war. We would have been in a war if Hillary got in. And now we're talking. We talk, talk, talk. And that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> then Don Jr. cuts him off to talk about the economy again. <laughs> um, it's it's just yeah. Don Jr. has like so much love for his dad, but also like and like wanting to be paid attention to and everything. But then he's also just realizing how much of a disaster his dad is on a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. like, and there's the um. Like, I don't even think Donald Trump has contempt for Don Jr. It's just, like, there's there's something going on. Like, like it's like Don Jr. is not in the room at all. Like, he has to be cajoled into saying anything that relates to any kind of feeling to his eldest child, you know? Honestly, it's almost more cruel than, than straight-up contempt. It seems to just be ignoring. Like, like yeah, there's, like, no, nothing. Like, Right, yeah, yeah he can't Trump summon do any... anything for Don. <laughs> right, right. The man can't summon any affection or feeling. It's just opinions on on Don Jr.'s facial hair. 
and uh, (laughs) like saying what he needs to say to like meet the baseline definition of of a father, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah, jumping to the the end of it, like you know, um, because they show that little behind the scenes thing, and it's it's not like you'd think it would be a laudatory like, oh, good job. No, it. It's like, oh, do you want to, like, shoot the thing? Like, he just gets into the technical aspects of filming a thing. Like, <laughs> oh, you should go... You should do that. You should get some better takes of you doing um, um that. And then, right, the last thing you hear is just, like, nice to see ya. <laughs> As if you just, like, ran into a co-worker at Starbucks or something. <laughs> My favorite was uh, was Don Jr. asking Trump if he's ever heard of irony. Like, that was going to be, like, a good funny joke. And then it's just, like, this horrific, awkward pause. <laughs> yes, I understand irony. I, un- <laughs> I understand irony very much. It's... Yeah, right. it's... God, and it, okay, so the thing was recorded June 18th or broadcast June 18th. It feels like it was a thousand years ago. Like we live it in a really completely does. different like like those grievances that they're addressing are so far in the past. I mean, it's got like the favorite canards like uh, you know, there's an extended riff on how much SNL sucks. Um Oh, that's that was yeah. Uh I, though <laughs> hey, I they might have a correct opinion there. Like, I mean, I, I think, think so, I'm, yeah. like SNL, not very good. And Daryl Hammond is the better um, Trump impersonator. Like, that's yeah, just I, that's a cold I think that fact. Is true. And then another thing is like the the Osama bin Laden endorsing Biden thing. Mm. Like, that's already in the rearview mirror. And that was like, yeah. you know, that was like sort of this perfectly crafted inflammatory statement. God, yeah, that's Fox News just fodder. That's that's perfect. I yeah. yeah, it's um, and then they're like, oh, every terrorist organization in the world endorses Biden, and I'm like, I wish, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, if Biden got the the Hezbollah endorsement, I mean, yeah, I'd I'd be a little more excited to vote for the man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. That becomes more fodder for for centrist libs. It's like, come on, you're still not excited about Biden? Fucking Hezbollah endorsed Biden. <laughs> it's the, like like that's the next uh that's the next level it's like you know you can't let trump back in office uh you look angela davis endorsed biden leftist like please uh um actually yeah just to plug the magnificast one of their as of this recording one of their most recent episodes is actually entirely about angela davis's uh ah, endorsement of it it's it's very good it's a very sober um very very leftist uh sort of dissection of that speaking of terrorism uh for yeah first, first reformed. reformed so if triggered the father's day special the triggered father's day special <laughs> is is a look into the the dark heart of the the id of american empire in this year of our lord 2020 first reformed is a, a pretty damn spot on dramatization of trying to deal with the world as it is while trying to believe in anything it's through the lens of of a reformed minister at a historic church in in upstate New York, but I, I, it really is about put whatever ideal you hold dear. Um, it's about reconciling your belief in anything with the world as it is, and uh, yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a powerful movie. Yeah, and I guess when I was talking about like true religion or whatever in my my. Um uh elevator pitch i think what you could maybe more generalize that to is just what true belief looks like because that seems to be what it's grappling with quite a bit um 
like i i don't know there's a lot of images of the church being fake in a sense like it being well literally a souvenir shop yeah um literally a souvenir shop like one of my favorite shots in the movie is just like a really throwaway quick thing where um the gravestone is fault like fell over and it's clearly a fake gravestone they have outside and so part of his like church duty is just like fixing this like fake gravestone um I, I don't know it like so there's just all these images of this is not a real thing um and he's trying to make sense of like i, I guess what what true belief looks like in the in the face of kind of this deconstruction of uh you know belief systems in front of him and like well what does it mean if i actually believe this and it's not just something i do to um uh, advertise the the what the 250th um re re whatever re, the, the rechristening re- rededication yeah, yeah. something like just that. like yeah the giant pr reconsecration yeah the reconsecration yeah, yeah. where it's just pr for the businesses and the state in the area and he's like well what does it mean if i take seriously my belief i, I don't know in in the face of that Right, it touches on every every facet of of ex or <laughs> every every possible source of existential dread at the current moment. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, this movie is like three years old, but I mean, its its plot is explicitly about um, uh, economic collapse or I mean, uh, environmental collapse. Environmental, Jesus yeah. ideology. Can you? Yeah. <laughs> have you heard a more Freudian slip than? That? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Total, total environmental collapse and the attendant chaos and possible eco-fascism if, uh, you know, nothing is done. And then a very, a very serious and sober and intellectualized, um, faith alongside that. Like, I mean, he's, yeah, Mm -hmm. he's reformed church. He's, he's a mainline Protestant, but he's from the more, um, like sort of high church end of that. Yeah, uh, I, I think I think him being Dutch Reformed and so like kind of you know definitely a Calvinist to some extent or another is a uh, very intentional thing. Oh, absolutely. Um, um, and actually, because I was I was partially going to read this, I actually had a, my copy of Institutes of the Christian Religion already. Because there is this passage that's kind of infamous at the end of uh, let's see, chapter twenty. Let's see where it is. It um, because it was kind of a throwaway line that Calvin threw out there, and it was what led to the the radicalization of of Puritans to eventually behead their king. Um, because he's like talking about submission to authority, and you have to submit to authority. And he's like, "Well, but I have to make this make sense on a legal level. Like, how how can God possibly support submitting to all authority?" Um, and so he throws this in. Uh, Herein is the good power and providence of God wondrously displayed. At one time he raises up manifest avengers from among his own servants and gives them his command to punish accursed tyrants and deliver his people from calamity whenever they are just unjustly oppressed. Which is, like, was just a, a invitation for, like, y- 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 God will raise people up from, from, you know, God's people to overthrow tyrants and if you're doing that from a Calvinist lens, you're literally doing that with God's providence on your side. Um, and so I was thinking of that passage a lot while watching the movie, um, because it seems like that's kind of what he was starting to realize was he was like, at least in his mind, he was seeing himself as, as serving that role 
um anyway yeah oh yeah that's oh that's perfect um yeah i'm gonna get uh get a little uh um solipsistic here uh and and kind of uh indulge in my own biographical whims um I, I guess it's not a secret, and by the time this this comes out, I'll have already released an episode with my um, my old lit professor, Doctor Van Dyke, uh, teaches at Cornerstone University. So I, you know, attended uh, Cornerstone U- University, which is a pretty conservative, uh, they say, non denominational uh, Christian institution, but mm. definitely evangelical. Has a lot of Baptist roots. I'm not sure exactly which strain of baptist but it was you know that style of um protestant conservatism anyway went there it's down the road from uh calvin college and that's that's one of the big reformed church uh universities if not you know the something like the harvard of of the dutch reformed tradition um paul schrader went there in the 60s Oh yeah. God. Um, so he, oh, I, I actually nailed it on the head. I didn't. Yeah, no, yeah. He's <laughs> he's a hundred percent. He was a conservative Dutch reformed guy, and like his story is he oh, got wow. obsessed with movies as a teenager. You know, just sort of like abandoned his his home and his faith, uh, and and went off to Hollywood to live that dream. Um, you know, he became an intellectual. He was in Pauline Kyle's uh, Kale. I'm not sure how to pronounce her name. Um, anyway, she was one of the more influential film critics in the in the 50s, 60s, and 70, 60s and 70s. Yeah, so he was an acolyte of her, but then he also had one foot in Hollywood. You know, he was screenwriting for uh, Scorsese. He wrote Taxi Driver, uh, mm. was one of his first things, and then he got into he was directing his own stuff um, by the end of the 70s. Um. Movie I'd recommend to you, Hardcore with George C. Scott. It, okay, yeah. it it's it's about a Dutch reformed um furniture factory owner from Grand Rapids, Michigan, whose daughter goes missing in the LA porn scene. And Oh my god. Uh there's like there's like a scene of him talking to a to a sex worker and explaining like the tulip five point Calvinism thing. <laughs> um so it was like his it was his like explicit statement against his uh his tradition and his and his upbringing like um oh, sort of an exploration of total br- depravity um so yeah it's it, it feels like like first reformed is him coming full circle and i think reconciling with his past finally oh yeah um because cause, yeah because yeah, i mean good sorry yeah i mean the <laughs> it it's so it's so interesting like i think he always believed in redemption like he's it, it's so perfect that he and scorsese worked on taxi driver together i think because oh, yeah. they were they were both probably at the lowest points in their lives at that point like i think schrader was living in his car divorced writing taxi driver in la oh, you know marty was in the God. depths of his uh you know his crazy coke coked out um guilty catholic schoolboy thing um you know you know so they were both just like right not not doing great you know didn't quite have things together but we're both like very successful men in their in their fields uh mm-hmm. going forward like schrader hasn't been as consistent as scorsese but uh right so there's this there's this belief in the fundamental like depravity of human beings but they also have oh, a yeah. i think it's a little more submerged in a lot of paul schrader's early work um but there is you know i think there's a belief in the possibility of redemption like that's kind of i feel like their later work is uh bearing that out um 
for sure because yeah. I, well, I was gonna say I want I want to rewatch Taxi Driver and Raging Bull now that I know uh, Schrader's Calvinist upbringing because it would be really interesting to like see a, a Calvinist read on both those films because I think it's kind of apparent into some degree, but yeah, know, it's very it's very like uh, Calvinist or even Augustinian where it's you know man's well at least Raging Bull like man's desire or whatever. Um, being that like desire for power or whatever is slowly un- unraveling him um but the, yeah the, the calvinist connection there was really interesting to me i i didn't fully know that yeah yeah it's oh man it's it's so it's so present um but yeah it's it's interesting to trace uh schrader's career like like i said earlier he he's not as consistent or as consistently celebrated as uh as scorsese certainly doesn't have the level of acclaim like you know schrader's not quite a household name you kind of have to be a a cinephile of some stripe to be like into him you know i mean he's been like you know sort of at the at the surface he's worked with enough famous people you've probably seen one of his movies here and there but like you're not like oh i'm I'm excited for the new paul schrader film unless you're like (laughs) you know into into a certain um a certain part of of american uh film fandom uh which is all to say like yeah his early stuff is is really angry and pissed off and really focused on sort of the depravity um of yeah of everything um but there was always like this theme of uh like what trauma can do to a human being and he was really yeah. obsessed with showing the destructive effects of that um and then by the 90s, uh, I think the high watermark there was Affliction with uh, Nick Nolte and James Coburn, and just, uh, I think, Sissy SpaceX in there. Phenomenal cast, but it's it's about how intergenerational trauma affects your judgment. So it's like, uh, right, this um, brutal Midwestern cop guy gets obsessed with, like, the one murder that haps- happens in his town, and then... Uh, it's it's a really naked look at like what vigil how how vigilantism happens um mm. because he's convinced of his own truth but it's so informed by like you know he was his character was raised by an abusive alcoholic and uh like how that experience just constantly informs his need to be like to be right and to redeem himself and to fix his family but he can only do it through violence and destruction because that's just I- all he I'm trying knows. to find a trying to find a parallel between that and the triggered episode now. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, which is which is all to say, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Paul Schrader, I think, is is very. If there's sort of a one one narrative that you can kind of read if into into all of his stuff, it's it's a relation between fathers and sons, either familial or or uh, spiritual. And uh, yeah, so you see, I, I think you see a perfect fusion of those two strands in in First Reformed. Mm. Uh, like like Ernst Toller is is clearly he's tried to escape his trauma by uh, intellectualizing everything. You know, it, 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 mm. the movie starts with him. He he's he's unable to pray, so he's trying to find these other exercises to try and you know get back in touch with the divine because everything's just sort of like flattened for him. Um, mm. Or he's, you know, he's taken the wonder out of everything, and he just, he can't, uh, <laughs> every, everything has to be sort of a, a truth statement or a, or a logical point. Like, he's lost the, the emotional core of it. I yeah. could, I could be rambling. Um, no, no, this is good. Because I think then he finds that connection through, um, 
uh, what's his name? Um, the, the, the climate change activist, Michael, um, he, he finds that, that like emotional connection again through Michael's, uh, pain about environmentalism, um, and about the state of the yeah. environment. Uh, cause I mean, specifically in the movie, like there's like a jarring line where he's talking about like the, the narration is, is talking about Toller, uh, yeah. re- finding it exhilarating talking to Michael who yeah, he, is, you know, he, having a fucking mental breakdown in front of him. <laughs> right. I felt like Joseph wrestling the angel. Um, yeah. And then that's God. like, uh, right. So it's, uh, it's Michael giving, giving like the preamble his, you know, like, you know, the, oh, this is the scientific consensus of, uh, you know, the world's fucked. Um, and I, and, but like the reason he's there is because like michael's he's struggling so much with the ethical questions of bringing a child into the world his his wife is pregnant Mm. um and he's pressuring her to get an abortion and his his wife you know (laughs) attends church and asks asks uh um uh reverend toller to uh to counsel him through this uh and then it gets it gets weirder from there, but it gets very like, weird, right? Yeah. But yeah, he's he's narrating his own feelings about the encounter with Michael and how you know it felt like good to be wrestling with this stuff again. But and then he's hitting Michael with just like these pat church answers of just like, I mean, or uh, that that kind of like you know, oh yeah, you know all that, but you know this this unborn life is more important than all that, and you need to like focus on that. And then you know he lines on that, you know, wisdom is being able to hold two contradictory thoughts in your head at the same time and still function, you know. Yeah. Um. And I think like it shakes Toller out of his uh out of his malaise because you know he is he is just giving the doctrinaire answers on it at the end of the day. It's it's not that he believes yeah. it, but he's he's getting something out of the exercise of um you know fighting another consciousness <laughs> on on his for terms. sure. Although I think he gets he starts tapping into something that's not just the standard doctrinaire because I was gonna I was gonna mention there's very Kierkegaardian feel to this whole movie, yeah. and that's that's like when he starts talking about the blackness. If you remember in that scene where right. he's like, he's just like, well, you know, this existential dread is in all of us. It's not just, you know, like the environmentalism is a new problem, but this dread, this fear of the future, this kind of sense of the apocalypse is is old. It's been in all of us. And I, I kind of find that interesting because I think the movie can kind of serve as a critique of Kierkegaard, um, but also a, like an affirmation of Kierkegaard because... Uh, I'm going to butcher the quote, but there's like a there's a Kierkegaard quote that I, has always stuck with me where he's like, I went to church today and I saw, you know, the the priest with a golden golden cup and, and big robes and whatever, lots of money. Um, and then he came up to the pulpit and said, uh, sell all your belongings and give to the poor. And I looked around and no one was laughing. Um and that's right. like that seems like that's that kind of the, the Kierkegaardian premise of like what they're working with there. But Kierkegaard on the whole seems to see this problem of like false religion as very individual and not not yeah. paying attention to oppression or material concerns. And so it seems like they're kind of rolling with that Kierkegaard yeah. premise, but taking it in this very materialist direction where it's like, well, true faith could be uh, tr- truly acting on these convictions in the world. That's how you reconcile yeah. yourself with the blackness or whatever. 
Right. I feel like Ernst is like he's he's very much in that. Yeah. That existentialist Christianity, um, I think, out of like 60s and 70s, where it's like, uh, you know, the the hangover from so many failed social movements is just like, all right, all like all we can do is like focus on on the spiritual. And it's sort of this, uh, you know, disregarding of 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 the world. It's like, all right, we can't really change it, but we can help people navigate it. Yeah, there's something that connects with like, you know, he's he's the pastor of this first reformed church that is more a museum than a functioning church, though he still delivers a sermon and a small amount of people still attend it. Uh, he's he, he's supposed to be this caretaker of the past. And since he's so isolated, mm-hmm. he's, you know, obsessed with this. Right. The Thomas Merton existential uh, yeah. sort of um, uh, like monk tradition monastic tradition almost um Mm. uh michael represents an intrusion of the real um you know he's he's qualified to deal with these matters of the heart these matters of existence and he's yeah yeah i think he's basically right like i'd go to his church Mm. uh you know i i appreciate like i'd i'd fucking Mm. love uh an (laughs) uh ernst toller to be my my pastor if i ever decide to start attending services ever again but uh I don't know. Yeah, oh. well, yeah um, I mean, well, especially because I mean, the material focus in the movie it it's definitely like a death of God theology movie, even though it never explicitly says that. Um, you know, I mean, opening on I can't, you know, I can't pray anymore, um, and I don't have, you know, God isn't responding, and just kind of that like you know existential silence, that like Camusian dial tone mm-hmm. uh, he's just dealing with. Um, then, you know, is manifest in, well, I'm going to act in faith in a material sense. Like, I don't know, that that's, that's like, something that just struck me as I'm thinking back yeah. on the movie now. It's, it's very much emphasizing, like, how to be Christian and take this conviction seriously yeah. in the face of a silent God. Yeah. And yeah. that connection to God seems to only come out at the very end. Um but I would say, okay, so, like, him, him starting to take on that conviction is, I think, best represented in the diner scene you wanted to talk about anyway. So that seems like a good direction to go. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, because it is about, right, his slow, the slow dawning that he lives in a world and other other men have ruined it. And you're a man. Why don't you do something about it? Um, right. But, yeah, he's, he's trying to do, like... Uh, it's almost like debate tricks. He's trying to bludgeon this guy with the truth. You know, like they're, they're meeting at this diner because, uh, Ernst Toller presided over Michael's funeral that was held at a environmental disaster zone, you know, that had a, an, um, like the abundant life church choir sang a, a Neil young protest song, um, while they scattered his ashes <laughs> over this, like, like polluted swamp full of shipwrecks for some reason. Like it, uh, it's very it's very jarring imagery so this uh right the the guy who underwrites the reconsecration of the first reformed church is you know dick bulk what richard bulk i don't know i can't even remember what his yeah, name yeah. Is. something like anyway it's it's bulk he owns bulk enterprises they're uh they're an energy company um <laughs> and so he's like oh, okay there's nothing there's not going to be anything political at my at my nice little ceremony that i'm throwing to feel good about myself right like we're not going to get uh political because you know toller did this the other day you know <laughs> uh, <laughs> um but right he's he's the guy who holds the purse strings he's the reason like abundant life is doing so well which is the big um 
mega church that Cedric Kyle's uh is the pastor of who you know is an affiliate or underwriter of uh of the first reformed church like those that's where all the money comes from to preserve hmm. that historical site uh so yeah uh toller's gonna give some remarks during the during the ceremony and this guy's like i don't want it to get it political and then right he launches into it he starts hitting him with all the all the climate stuff and then it goes into the voiceover it's like uh where he's like i as he's doing it on the screen, future Toller is already, I wish I had just kept silent. Um, mm. And and then, so you think, like, he's, yeah, he acts as though just simply stating the truth will be enough of a corrective to this man. We'll, we'll see, right. make this guy see the light. Uh. But it's also, like, it's also a self-indulgent move. Like, he's trying to, he's trying to express his feelings about it to this guy in power. Like, he's, he's literally trying to tell truth to power, you yeah. know? Oh, yeah. And then this guy's like it's such a short scene and the guy's performance is so muted and understated but there's the man's a snake the man's a pit viper oh, yeah you know and he just he just gets he knows he he spots toller's weakness and just oh, humiliates God. him like and they're just in the it's just the three of them it's just cedric kyle's ethan hawk and you know unidentified white guy who plays an energy ceo um yeah but he's just like, so you, you counseled this Michael. Yes, it, that was your work. And he still died. Um, well, I think you should, uh, you know, take that plank out of your eye, sir. You know, well, by your logic, uh, you know, this is this is a failure of your claim to leadership of any kind, your claim to authority. Um, and there's I really vibe with that uh, scene. And I and I feel I, like yeah, you vibe with this scene, too, because I that think was like, one of my favorite scenes as well. Yes, it's. Oh. I mean, it's an experience if I haven't had, I've been privy to, it's been, it's been a formative, like, I've gone through those moments, <laughs> you know, yeah. where, you know, I'm trying to scream about what, hey, I learned the truth and I'm trying to proclaim it. And then somebody who's in authority over me is like, well, you need to clean up your house first, mister. Like, you know, yeah, you, well, the way, the way that gets like weaponized against true religion, I mean, I think is, is a fascinating like yeah yeah like i like experience i've definitely had because it was like i i remember kind of the the uh, embryonic state of my radicalization you know being like well jesus said sell all your belongings and give to the poor like what does that mean if we don't take that seriously and you know ha having people like when i kind of got on that shtick being like well i don't know but i i know you get drunk sometimes so uh, you right. should probably fix that before you start lecturing people about this. I also like how fascinating in, in that scene, like, um, Toller is a, he, he initially is just like, look, I'm just following what the will says, right, you know? Right. Um, and then there's kind of like, you almost feel like you could see it on his face, a change where he's like, no, you know what? Fuck it. I stand by, I stand by Michael's cause. Yeah. And it kind of like switches in the conversation. That's, that's like part of my favorite moment is it? like, that's that's the moment when you could almost say like Michael, like, uh, it possesses Toller in a way. Like yeah. he takes on the cause. Well, yeah. Um, he, like Michael, I think not even figuratively, like I think he, he literally haunts Ernst Toller. Like, yeah. the, like, uh, right. He's got the man's laptop. He's, he's sort of the, um, the caretaker of Michael's memory. 
he absorbs it. He becomes, uh, you know, uh, entangled with, with Michael's wife, you know, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't even know where I'm going with that. Um, that that first time he realizes, oh man, I share I share this man's conviction. Like his cause lines up with my my theological doubt. Like this is something I can actually mm. get behind. Um, I like how it stands stands in parallel where he he basically has that uh, conversation with with Cedric Kyle's later, where he's like, yeah. you know, where it is just like. All right, you're you're not a real pastor. You're you're a museum caretaker basically and you know, we think what you do is important, but like yeah, you've got a lot of problems, but you're stuck in this old church high-minded theological tomfoolery. I'm trying to counsel people. I'm trying to like help them deal with how hard their lives are. And so he makes the more compassionate version of that, which is yeah, I I think it's a a really good rebuke of uh of Toller, because like mm. that has been his problem. It is like this disconnection with like a lot of the the material things of um, yeah, not only yeah. people's lives but the state of the planet. Like he's been too involved in the uh, the sort of theological mind games and his own existential pain and dread. Yeah, and that being resolved by focusing on the material and by focusing on uh, what's in front of you. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Just just actually acting in faith, um, yeah, resolves yeah. the existential dread to some extent or another. I mean, yeah, it's a because it's a story of radicalization. We haven't even touched on the like the the suicide bomber Final. and uh, like you know jihadi um, imagery that's used in the movie. Jesus, either it's, like yeah. yeah, so like right, Michael Michael makes the suicide vest, and you know Toller says he's going to dispose of it because um, his thing is he doesn't want to make michael's death any more tragic than it already is they don't want to give yeah, yeah. they don't want to give the authorities the means to like discredit him like they're really trying to like oh this guy got depressed about this he cared about this and this is this is sad they're not trying to oh you know he was a terrorist and then uh after toller's humiliation in the diner like that sets him down on a path of uh in, um increasing desperation as he figures out how to you know the the big question becomes like will god forgive us for what he, what he's done for, to his creation yeah. um or for what we've done to his creation uh and uh right there's a couple there's a couple threads after that humiliation of uh you know wanting to destroy his enemies to put on the right that that narration of um you know, putting on the armor, of put God. on the armor of God. Oh, God. Our fight is, you know, with the powers of this world and the darkness of men's hearts. Um, another, another fun fact about about me because everybody needs to know more about me. <laughs> I, don't know, I have I have a hammer and sickle tattoo that has like our fight is not with men but powers and principalities written in Cyrillic under it. Hell yeah! <laughs> and I have no Russian heritage, but it's like. Uh, I don't know, yeah. like I so I, like I vibe with this movie so much is because it's 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 this really good dramatization of my own sort of journey leftward out of um out of like a conservative spiritual thing and I, and I feel like Absolutely. like that like my my intellectual development is bound up with a Dutch reformed philosophy, uh, and that that whole you know it's not a very well known tradition but it exists like they they have their yeah. own um whole whole universe of 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 thinkers and philosophers that they anyway there's there's a identifiably dutch reformed tradition that a lot of my thinking comes out of or a lot of my mentors 
had and i'm i'm still like negotiating that but like that's all to say i had sort of an existential theological moment you know i think there was a time i was trying to embody sort of an ernst toller disposition to the world like yeah, yeah you know it's like okay how do i really truly you know transcend and so it's all about like intellectualizing my faith and and, and dealing with like the being training myself to sit with the blackness being able to yeah. uh you know this sort of yeah heroic positive existentialism like i believe with my head there's a god even though i don't feel i i don't feel like myself believes or follows that anymore um yeah and then so that was like kind of the starting point where i started to like fully embrace like leftist politics you know like going through that yeah existential theological moment and it, it it's manifested in different ways and i think there's that i've been going on too long but th this is all to say no, like the duality of the or the the sort of opposition uh for the last maybe third of the film after the diner scene is this split between okay do i declare holy war on these fuckers and suicide bomb them to death or you know, there's there's the other side of that call. That's Amanda Seyfried's mm. character. Of course, I'm not remembering anybody's characters' names, but uh, Mary. Mary, right? yeah, yeah, she's yeah. she's pregnant. She's you know in the midst of all of this atrocity and horror and and callousness towards you know our our shared home. You know, she's like, I believe everything Michael does. I just I didn't have his despair about it. You know, I still maintain this yeah. connection to the spiritual. I still, uh, you know, I believe there is something good and worth preserving and i want to see this life brought into the world in spite of how awful it is and you know yeah. those are the two heroic moments like you know it's you know are are you going to set yourself up to be a martyr or are you going to you know participate in life itself i want to get into like more of your stuff but it's i mean that hits on another really big personal thing for me the first time i watched this movie was before i met my partner my um asia mm -hmm. who's been on old episodes of this um yeah. but you know we've been together for like a, a year and a half and uh have <laughs> made it through some interesting world events um so i watched this movie like right before we were together and like my reaction to the ending is like he should have just fucking done it he should have blowed those fuckers up that would have been the good yeah. thing and then um because i was like you know single embittered living through the trump era like everybody else you know uh right, right. <laughs> pre precariously employed uh identifying as a dirtbag leftist of something you know i was just i was pissed off and pretty disappointed in where i was at at life and uh yeah like since then i've i've built something you know i've built a life with another person in a short period of time and, and mm -hmm. dealt with a lot of stuff that people just haven't had to deal with before and like yeah uh, i want to fight to keep that and share that and help other people get that <laughs> you know whatever it may be however that looks to yeah. to anybody like um being able to to build something with another person or people or whatever i mean is you can't just give up on that even though things yeah. are actually apocalyptic right now um oh god there's so much i want to say now this is yeah, yeah this, we're tapping I, into some good shit yeah. I, I think we got to just keep going and if this winds up being like a two-parter like i won't be mad <laughs> that's or totally fine yeah but i don't know we're, oh god but yeah man like I, so that's <laughs> right that's like my long-winded take on why uh <laughs> first reform rules. right you know um, i don't know if we're offering like super cogent analysis but i mean the, like hopefully we're explaining why yeah uh or yeah, at least I mean, my my obsession with this with this movie um 
Well, I think that's kind of the odd splice brand from the like episodes <laughs> I've listened to, though. Like, there is like you you do know shit about film, which is cool. But there's also just like, uh, man, this movie just makes me feel things, and I like that. And I think sometimes, like, yeah, people get way way too into film and they lose track of that. Sometimes a movie's just nice, or it makes me feel good, and it connects with something I I have experienced. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Right. But... Yeah. I mean, just, well, yeah, <laughs> d- dipping even into the media theory, it's like, okay, like at a certain point I, I needed to view film as a, it makes sense as conversation, right? It, uh, yeah. like we think of, we think of film as, as a, as a avenue of self-expression. Then you dive into the technical aspects of it and it's like, all right, it's a fucking miracle. These things get made at all just cause like so much has to oh, line yeah. up to make a good movie. Um, because so many people are involved. And so it's, 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 it's hard to reduce to just self-expression because it's it's something that's made by many people to be yeah, it's a social entity yeah to to be enjoyed or viewed by many people and then on the other end like criticism exists like there's a dialogue going on in there and uh why yeah. like all these things are sort of reflections or creations of uh of actual people so i mean it's all got to it all everything's relevant there's everything's relevant to for it. sure um sorry to rant please i know you're you, totally yeah. good <laughs> <laughs> um yeah no yeah i get like i, I love the i love this movie for sure um I, I was gonna say so we were talking about like the i don't know you were connecting it to recent events and so i was thinking about that too oh, this movie in a lot of ways although my story is less extreme obviously than first reformed i'm not about to get a suicide vest but like i i kind of feel like i've had that connection to um truly experiencing like like real faith or whatever um as i growingly participated in the blm protests in my in my city um hell yeah man hell yeah (laughs) and that's that's been kind of like a whole really fascinating thing where you know i I don't I don't know if I have felt connection to this belief system I was raised with for a long time and then somehow in a very non church setting where I'm you know, I I realize, oh, I'm gonna get tear gassed for what I believe. That's something that like definitely definitely connected more to that religious upbringing than pretty much anything else I've ever done. Um and especially that that Calvinist mindset, if you can get into it, where you're like, well, if I'm fighting injustice, I'm literally doing this with God's providence on my side, uh, which is a really empowering thing if you can get into that mentality for sure. Um, but yeah, but yeah, the BLM thing. Oh, you're talking you're talking about watching it as a dirtbag, sadistic, kind of cynical, blow the fuckers. Right, right. Like, yeah. But but then like you know also this connection to life variation and represented in like the kind of ambiguous ending where maybe he did or maybe he didn't blow blow him up because he wanted to you know stay with Mary or whatever. I do think that. The movie, I think sometimes that that dichotomy does exist, but I think the movie does kind of do a false false uh, dilemma there because I, I think those like revolution and yeah. uh, con- commitment to life can be very very much in- intermingled. Um, yeah, and I I think that's the synthesis it's trying to point at. Um, yeah. Oh, that makes like, sense. because yeah. it's easy to like it's supposed to cut it off in that moment, but I think that's like like that's the moment where Toller's going to make a decision. Like he's mm-hmm. got, you know, he's got everything sort of in focus. Like, um, 
like the narrative really is him being pushed into more and more untenable positions like, yeah. If I believe this, can I? Right. He's trying to start from this like, I'm wise. I can hold two contradictory things together at once. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm the fucking wisdom master almost like he's he's not that outwardly egotistical. But I mean, I think that's sort of bound up with his exhilaration in that first meeting with Michael, the only meeting with Michael yeah. um, in the film. Uh, yeah, right. But he, he just gets keep he keeps getting pushed on like, all right, so what's what's the thing I believe in most? All right. I also need to then I also need to believe in this thing if I if I'm to continue to live this way. Nope, yeah. that doesn't work. OK, yeah. And so right <laughs> to the end where he has to make the choice. All right. I can I can I can kill these men that I think are breaking the world or I can, you know, join with this woman and. uh uh right promote life you know mm-hmm. um resist by other means and right it's trying to reconcile both of those things and trying to make it how do you <laughs> how, how do, do you, you live do how do you live with 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 this knowledge how do you um yeah yeah how do you deal with that and well yeah and i i know for me and i guess i'm speaking from my own experience you know i was definitely like cynical dirtbag left and kind of still am but i i like yeah i mean i'd say that's a good position to have towards like specifically u.s electoral politics oh yeah dirtbag left criticism of the democratic establishment anyway i don't know we're not gonna we don't need to dwell on that but like (laughs) that's definitely a position we've both occupied or are familiar with but blm has been an interesting moment of like hope for me even though it seems to a lot of times be just getting completely crushed by the state i just uh, I, I see that kind of hope and that like birthing of life kind of occurring in that sense. And that's, yeah. that's been my experience anyway. And I, I like you throwing in uh, you, uh, you and your partner being kind of a change of mindset too, because um, I like had a very, the weird, very weird experience of starting <laughs> to date someone right when the George Floyd protests oh, broke out. Man. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, yeah. That is, and, dude, that, that's a sink or swim <laughs> moment, buddy. <laughs> it was a very, oh yeah. Like we were, we like basically a lot of our, our first dates were running from the cops together. And that was a very, wow. like, very interesting way to start off a relationship. Like there's things I didn't like realize, like, it's just a weird thing but like you know i i never knew what it would be like to kiss somebody that just got tear gassed in the way it burns <laughs> it's just a very weird thing wow <laughs> Any, oh, anyway yeah. yeah but it's like i I, yeah. <laughs> I see that like sense of hope in like kind of this and i think it might be just because i started dating someone at that time but just like th- there's kind of this like life and connection and beauty uh coming out yeah. of this this kind of violent revolutionary moment we're in i I don't know yeah there's man yeah that's something i i like uh there's a there's an old episode of of this podcast where we talked about um love and if beale street could talk and sorry to bother you i loved that episode that yeah i yes it was there were so many good people on it that was that was one of my favorite it was one of my least favorite to produce but it was like one of my my favorite conversations i've i've ever had but i mean that that touches on um something like i was trying to make the case for sorry to bother you and like you know if you want to experience love it can't just be like 
inward you can't just gaze into the uh, your lover's eyes like you can't sustain that relationship just on no, that no. you need to be holding hands and looking outward and like shit you lived that buddy <laughs> <laughs> no that gave me like literal chills when you said that because i hadn't thought of it yeah. in that literal I mean, sense and, but yeah that's true yeah like and i and i had that i had it I, I feel like i had that on a smaller scale with asia like i i mean we haven't been as active on the street as um you have certainly but like you know the the weekend of the protests like when it was sort of arguably the they're all it's all dangerous after dark so but yeah right it's in the immediate like tumult like you know downtown chicago had been destroyed which rocked Mm. uh the night before (laughs) um but there was just right this crazy uncertainty but also effervescence uh happening at the time so we we you know we go to a pretty tame protest on the north side like we're we're you know scared i'm not particularly a bold man and i never really want to claim to be but uh, i'm definitely not either i yeah yeah, but it's like we we got out to the one and then we've been trying to like you know donate to stuff but we've been kind of right having our own little you know uncertainty and survival struggle but like for sure you know trying to do what we can in our capacity which is is never enough but you know it's trying to hit that bare minimum of like Oh, I can say I was like trying to be on the right side. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. But uh, I don't know. I think these these conversations are important. But right, being able to like, oh, this person who's in my life, she cares about these things. We both, you know, are able to, you know, go to a protest and yeah. we're trying to, you know, put some of our money towards, you know, people who need it right now. And, um, you know, what what me- meager mm-hmm. funds we can spare and. uh yeah yeah just knowing there there is something beyond just us it's not just about um just our relationship and how we feel about each other all the time (laughs) like absolutely you need something you need something outside that unites it and um right if if ever there was a moment in history to sort of you know test who you are and who who you can be with and who you want to associate with. I mean, I think this is really, uh, this has been, yeah, very much a sink or swim moment for a lot of friendships. (laughs) Yeah. Friendships, relationships, (laughs) uh, familial bonds. Like, I mean, yeah, it's, everybody's finding out who they are, uh, which, or maybe they're not. I don't know, man. Like there's something, uh, I, I, this is neither here nor there, but I've been reading like, yeah. Yeah. Media theorist about like, he kind of it's yeah boris groys he he sort of claims that like uh the way we relate to media is fundamentally um suspicion um we always think there's something sort of being hidden from us and i think i think some of my like later video essay work i'm really gonna like dive into his shit and um and stuff i think i want to see i want to see what you'll do with that that sounds really yeah uh, so it's suspicion but uh it's suspicion but we're always seeking sincerity we're we're waiting for something you know we we always think there's something behind the image of the world behind the image we're being presented so we're looking for like a little glitch or a little moment where we can sort of peer behind it and and you know see the truth and we can never really we can never really grasp that but the way we think we're seeing that is sort of when something behaves counter to its nature so that's why we believe like you know you only know who you are uh in a foxhole or in a moment of stress and i think there's some pretty compelling arguments against that it's like oh you are it's sort of Mm. both and you know you can't have have one without the other but the way we have society set up right now and the way we sort of relate to the world is like when when something behaves other than what we perceive its nature to be we think it's being sincere or truthful um 
Interesting. And so that that whole process, just because of the amount of media and communications apparatuses we have, I feel like that fundamental process just gets infinitely more fucked with, and that's why shit like QAnon becomes so widespread. <laughs> like, like it is this this. Uh, the way we interact with the world is so mediated and there is no it's it's thrown our definition of truth into the air so much so like all we can do is like grasp onto something and try and use that as our compass i mean mm-hmm. i think that's how you prove who you are like how do you act given any situation you know and not yeah. just not just the state of exception like it has to be it is it mm-hmm. is a search for some form of authenticity but it's also recognizing that that's sort of a complicated assemblage of of intentions and selfhood and like it, it yeah. all relies on uh anyway i'm not i don't know if i'm gonna keep that in i'm i'm all over the place this morning man <laughs> <I know>. uh, <laughs> it's, i'm totally fine i'm having a good time so oh, good <laughs> right yeah let's uh, put out another you know three hours of two white goat white dudes just like <laughs> jacking each other off with with theory and obscure references uh oh. yeah the world needs more of that hey i'm, I'm probably gonna start a patreon everybody yeah, Hope you you're... <laughs> I, right I, I i i live under the delusion that my my viewpoint is worth making a living on um <laughs> see and my, my plug for very legal very cool is uh is we are very honest about the fact that our viewpoint is worthless yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'll save it for your podcast but i also have biographical tie-ins with the subject matter of your first episode that i know i'm I so wanna... pumped to talk about that <laughs> that's a little teaser for some future collaboration <laughs> between odd splice and very legal very cool hey, uh, uh... <laughs> you know i think we're gonna have to start the uh, midwestern excellence network um, Hell yeah! Just a an amalgamation of midwestern podcasts that are proudly midwestern. Um. I I think I think that could happen. Uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, there was there was kind of this idea we were circling that is an old twitter dm conversation we had and i'm kind of feeling like i'm just gonna dive into it anyway and let's yeah let's just it. do it it's it's all there we'll man let's uh, let's not, be just but... embarrassingly honest on this. yeah hell yeah this is our confessional well, we, <laughs> well so like I, I i so i find first reform really interesting because it is trying it goes through and just deconstructs some like institutions and then it's trying to kind of grapple for what to do with like truth at the end you know and like uh, something real, genuine, authentic, whatever. Um, and we were having an interesting conversation, like, way back about why um, It's a Wonderful Life is my favorite movie, which is something that I think, like, cinephile-type people kind of would, like, look down on to some degree or another. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if if you want to take it, sort of the YouTube crit or film Twitter consensus, it's, like, yeah. the movie's sentimental trash, but, like, but, actual yeah. actual film people give it its proper due. Like, I don't it, think it's an embarrassing no, uh, it's, an embarrassing thing to have as your favorite movie. It's, it's you know, part of that is just because, like, I watched it a lot as a kid. Like, my, my family watched it a lot. But um, I, I love the movie's commitment to kind of like that that sentimental love of life type stuff that we were talking about earlier so that's that's kind of the vague connection i was making in my head where it it seems to like now i'm completely losing my train of thought like (laughs) it's like pointing to um an answer to a sentimental answer to that this kind of pained questioning of what's even the point of all this, especially with the material circumstances that are actively fucking over George Bailey throughout the course mm-hmm. of the film. 
Um, and then just kind of finding this meaning in community and family. And, you know, I, I have always found that to be a very compelling part of like, like, I don't know, a message yeah. it has. And also just part of my psyche because I've watched that movie so much growing up where I, I love my deconstruction and my cynicism, but I love a movie that can, after doing that, still point to at the end the moment where they're all singing you know odd like song and like you know just yeah. being being together in spite of this terrible like material circumstance i, I don't know um and first reformed in a weird dark way kind of points that direction at the end as well right it's know. it's still it's it's trying to preserve like yeah the cynicism and the the sort of total uh reality grasping reality like you know mm. toller's priority is like i am i am viewing the world exactly as it is like i need to you know yeah. be absolutely sober and clear-eyed and he, he thought like detachment was part of it but no like um because like through that uh we haven't even talked on like the the levitation scene which oh, is yeah. the like i think is the thing like a lot of people didn't want to like you know it's this very so sort of jarring yeah yeah i mean because this the rest of this movie is so like uh conservatively shot like it's a really desaturated color palette everything's sort of like cold and blue and uh like either sort of stark blacks and whites or mm. or sort of the uh you know non-upsetting muted color palette of abundant life and then some mild uh you know sort of rust belt aesthetics with with upstate new york um but like yeah there's nothing particularly inspiring about the setting like you just see sort of like dreariness and ugliness or sort of uh mm. austere beauty like you don't um and then right and then it's a very sort of realistic portrait of of people in a certain situation and then yeah this this moment where like yeah uh Right, Amanda, <laughs> they lay on top of each other in a non-sexual way in the middle of this, like, really spare room in his house, and then it's like, they appear to levitate, and he, uh, <laughs> he, he navigates the cosmos, he reconnects with the universe. Yeah, it's um, just there's something. Yeah, storytelling. There's just on a storytelling level, it's one of the most important scenes in it. Um, just from what I was, like, listening to some, like, Schrader interviews about it, part of the reason he threw it in was because... If he had just, if he hadn't had that scene, and then there was just the ending that he did, um, the ending would feel just very crazy because the ending is so, um, you know, mystical or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's very like hard to tell if it's real or not. There's like you know this ambiguity to it, um, and so he he had to put that scene in earlier to kind of demonstrate that this movie's willing to break out of the realism, um, and especially when it comes to connection with human beings and love is the thing that right. is going to sentimentally break from the dry realism for, I don't know. Right. It, it is super jarring. And it's, it's one of the, it's, it's a moment that's so painfully sincere. It's like, it, it's yeah. asking you to laugh at it a little bit. Yeah. Almost like, yeah, yeah, right. It is. It's trying to jar you out of that. You know, this isn't there even even in the most uh sort of stark and boring places there can be this um eruption of life and connection and uh yeah i seem to like the word effervescence effervescence uh, effervescence yeah <laughs> and you know that's um a connection with people and the world is something worth 
absolutely worth fighting for. It's just figuring mm-hmm. out what's how what are the best ways to fight for it, and that's kind of an open question. And uh, like the suicide vest gets explicitly tied back to you know Ernst Toller's uh, crisis of faith was you know yeah. he comes from a military family and his son served in the war on terror and was killed overseas and he was an army chaplain. You know, yeah. and this uh, this retreat from the world was, you know, his uh, therapy, his opportunity to heal. Um, and this is mm. this is sort of his traumatic rebirth into the world. Um, yeah. There's yeah, there's a very Eastern mystic uh, tinge to his um, yeah. his connection and his relationship with with Mary, um, well, which yeah. I think was slightly intentional because like Schrader was very much using uh, Merton. Um, yeah, and and Merton like is not Eastern by any means, but he had a lot of affinity for Eastern philosophy. Yep, if I'm yep. correct, that's um, yeah, that sounds so right. Yeah, yeah, that was his whole thing. Yeah, he was dialoguing with with um with Eastern with philosophy East. for sure. Yeah, yeah, and also, I mean, in a lot of ways, if I'm correct, First Reformed is kind of trying to be a story about Thomas Merton in a more absurd or like in maybe not absurd, but like more extreme sense, because you know, like didn't Merton ended up committing suicide? I believe. Um, and this was after he progressively became more and more loud about prison abolition and um. prison reform. So it, it is a story of a rat, someone frustrated by the religious institutions, um, wanting true belief yeah. in that, and then you know actively becoming more radical before eventually committing suicide. Um, so so it is kind of a story about Merton in a lot of ways. Right? If I'm yeah, it's kind of like. <laughs> Right, it's um, it's it's kind of w- what Apocalypse Now is to Heart of Darkness. Uh, hmm. First Reformed could be to, you know, the life of Thomas Merton. Yeah, that's wild. I I actually didn't. I I I wasn't that aware of uh, Thomas Merton's. Oh, I, biography. I take this. I take this back. It's it's an issue. Nobody really knows how he died. Um, but I I had heard somebody say it was suicide, but mm. they never did an autopsy. But he just like. He was just in Bangkok, and after attending a monastic conference, they just found him dead um, with, uh, they said, due in part to heart failure, in part to electric shock, which is oh. just very weird. Oh, um, wow. Dang. So there's, we, no, there's, well. no suitable expli- yeah, there's no suitable explanation for the wound to the back of Merton's head. Um, that, so wow. So no, no one really knows what happened to him. Uh uh, well, yeah, I somebody... guess we have to we have to start a Thomas Merton conspiracy podcast now. Oh, Ma- uh, the- theologian Matthew Fox claimed that Merton had been assassinated by the CIA. But okay, so yes! basically, yes. <laughs> so basically, Full circle. It's a... Perfect. Yes. <laughs> God damn. Uh, yeah. No. But so yeah, Mer- Merton. That's that's all pretty intentional, I think. Yeah. yeah focus yeah. on Merton throughout the whole movie that yeah that makes complete sense um, we gotta find a way to talk about triggered <laughs> i mean yeah uh right so i mean if, if if first reformed is about the uh the expansiveness of the cosmos um the uh triggered is about the confines of the trump family cosmos that orbits yeah. around <laughs> uh donald trump's various uh appetites and uh um uh ego trips and and fantasias uh 
it's it's a it's a horrifying tour of inner space is what what triggered it <laughs> you know if 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 uh if if first reformed has a moment that you know tries to touch on the point where consciousness meets the expansiveness of the outside world and our connection to it um you know triggered is an exercise in like what if the world existed in one man's head uh <laughs> Uh, it's, yeah, truly a solipsistic experience. For right, sure. like, uh, right. Donald Trump and Donald Jr. sitting in a room, and you know, one man trying in vain to like forge an identity identity out of signifiers that he hopes his dad finds appealing. Like he's trying to be right. It's you know what some of the funniest shit in that video is. Like what? they do this West Wing opening credit sequence with photos of Trump looking presidential with Don Jr. and yeah. these like overlays of the American flag, and then it cuts to the like this sort of uh, you know Diane Sawyer style, <laughs> you know very muted, comfortable, intimate interview setting. You know, form uh, formal intimacy. I, I don't know what you call it. It's not exactly homey, but it's it's not like stark and professional either. Uh, but that, but that, it's like, all right, at Dad, as you know, I've been doing the uh, triggered podcast, and then just like a little, it's just a little off. The the sort of flaming triggered logo comes over them, and it's so jarring. It's so like I like I I don't it's I don't expect most chaos. people's I, I I don't I don't expect it, it's. It's precision designed to like break lib brains or something. Like I, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> Just I, I don't having know. Having an aneurysm while watching it. I. <laughs> it's it's the uncanny. I can't um, properly categorize it. I, I think like maybe the weird connection I could make with this in First Reformed because we were talking about First Reformed's like connection with love and others is this is a cold interview trying its best to be very homey and sentimental but god is it so just emotionally cold there's no love there (laughs) in in anything in politics and family and it's it it seems to do it seems to destroy institutions in a cynical way better than like ellie weisel's night right yeah Oh man, yeah, yeah. It's like if if you need a a more condensed picture of why um, the American state and our ruling class is illegitimate, like you can't go wrong with it. It it um, really feels like an interview version of the scene of Toller picking up the you know the gravestone that fell down, the fake gravestone, where it's just like a moment of like, oh, this is absolutely fake. Everything in this just feels forced and faked, and there's no true spirit behind it I, I don't know yeah yeah it's a it's a series of uh signifiers um it <laughs> i you're right i i, I don't th- it doesn't really ring out into a coherent worldview i mean it's just it's propaganda that can't even like commit to the bit <laughs> like it it wants to be this sort of uh confrontational like shit posty fox news joe rogan type thing but then like the fear and need for love that that don jr presents like he's trying so hard to be like i'm i'm serious interview man aren't you proud of me papa but like he's a scared child 
the whole the whole time just so desperate to his father's approval and it's just this like this quick tour of every single one of donald trump's grievances at that moment in time because <laughs> that's the only thing donald trump jr can think that will make his father happy i'm gonna acknowledge everything that pisses my dad off right now <laughs> It's, well, I think what's funny, like, Don, Don Jr. tries to, um, yeah, format himself as a serious, uh, serious interview type, type person. I, I don't know, but he, he's like, he, he just assumes that he's a serious interviewer in the beginning because, because if I remember right, he's like, well, starting off here, you know, we, we have, we, you know, this is a serious podcast and all, but we, we want to. We want to have some fun here, so I'm going to ask some fun questions. Right, yeah. Um, which is funny because it slips in there the assumption that he's a serious interviewer in the first place. <laughs> he's not. Yeah, you know, I've, <laughs> I've been doing Triggered for a while now. and uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, the the jokes that happened, I just were great because Trump is not in on... It so, doesn't seem like he even is in, in, is in on the joke at all. It's, right it's yeah so he's just he's just giving the most diplomatic answer it's like uh, right it's like oh we'll start off with a fun question like uh all right dad who's who's your you know uh I don't he, did he address him as dad or oh yeah i, I think so it was oh man that line is great though You're right. uh, it's like who is who is your favorite child and why is it ivanka like and i remember him <laughs> doing a weird little nervous laugh but he doesn't he does manage to stone face it but it's so <laughs> the inflection is there just the He's terrified. That is the most terrified that man has ever been in his life. <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> like, am I going to get daddy's moment. approval? And what does Donald Trump answer? Oh, the answer is, of course, everyone equally, equally, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says, uh, but I guess since I'm on your show right now, you're the answer. And you're just like, that was that was what he wanted. <laughs> yeah. And it's and that's purely born of Trump's instincts as a media figure. He just he knows yeah. like he knows what moves to make to come off likable to a host he knows how to ingratiate himself that's not affection it's it's purely technique it's so yeah. wild <laughs> for your own goddamn son yeah <laughs> like... it, i mean it's it, it just shows you how like like i think i believe in lizard people now man like yeah. it's just it's how it, like there's something about the corrosive nature of absolute power specifically in an Amer like american context uh, just how like dangerous for the soul it is like, oh yeah like how small your world becomes uh just based on the amount of power and entitlement you have to that power and like you know yeah. donald trump is by no means at the top of the the totem pole if we're talking like real power in the actual world um, mm. <laughs> like uh it just shows you how like tenuous and fragile and maybe not real authority is like it's it's all just kind yeah, of yeah yeah there aren't a lot of checks to sort of executive behavior in the American system. But I mean, like what, what's, what is real? What, what what's, is, what's real? Go, where are we right now? What's, what's happening? Is there a natural endpoint to this? I mean, we kind of have I, to just like, man, yeah, we're, we're trying our, our damnedest to make a synthesis between these two things. <laughs> and it, the, you know, I mean, I, I think there's something there, but <laughs> I mean, yeah, it goes, it goes back to that. It's like, all right, how do, yeah, how do we reconcile the existence of, <laughs> of this, this, this sort of will towards, uh, being a good actor in this world and then, you know, knowledge mm. of the, uh, the inner thoughts and, um, motivations of people who wield, you know, the power of life and death over us. 
Uh, right. I mean, and there's, you know, resistance to that is an open question. And I think like, uh, um, BLM is, is something that's, you know, kind of giving me hope and direction <laughs> these yeah. days. Like, um, I think, uh, yeah. r- right. Having, uh, approaching the film as a dirtbag leftist and then as, you know, uh, someone different trying to define myself differently from that. Like I, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. uh. I'm a little more ambivalent about Chapo these days, you know, like yeah, not not shitting on anybody for liking it or disliking it. But I'm just I'm not as enth- as enthusiastic a consumer of that content yeah. anymore. We, we've um, had we've had some like long conversations oh, on Chapo God. in the past. Yeah, I, I have so many mixed feelings about Chapo. It's yeah. They, well, they loom they loom large in our our circle, too, because I mean, I think it's uh right. Their audience is like left leaning suburban white dudes. Uh, or, yeah. you know, suburbanites of the mind at the very least. Like I grew up in a really rural area, but you know, <laughs> aspired, right. aspired for suburban mindset or that, that always attracted me more than the, uh, you know, sort of the rural dipshittery I perceived around me. Um, for sure. For sure. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, it's sort of like dirtbag leftism, you know, I think serves as a very good counter narrative to, you know, what it means to be a progressive in America, but like they can only go so far. Like they're really good at yeah, tearing down democratic politicians and their their, you know, PR apparatus that exists in the media class. Yeah. Uh but yeah, they have a hard time articulating a coherent worldview outside of that. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, because all they really yeah oh go for it they're they're engaging in like really good deconstruction um but they're not capable it seems of providing like what what the 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 affirmative thing we're we're going for is like what what the goal is we just know what sucks Um, right yeah yeah i mean it's like and they'll have those gestures like oh we boost the dsa but like i mean the yeah. like who's even given a shit about the dsa <laughs> yeah right now the D, i mean I like D, dsa is good if it's like supporting your local you know blm chapter or whatever but like right. dsa as a substantive entity could not be more irrelevant right now <laughs> oh for sure um because it was it was just yeah i mean i went to a couple meetings in chicago and it's like that it's it's very much uh it ingratiates you into a certain like i'm trying to if you're trying to like i'm trying to set myself apart from you know mainline progressive politics it's a good starting point but they're just so wishy-washy and again and they do good things but i feel like that comes down to like the individual goals of local chapters and uh yeah well because like i I think for for like from des moines here dsa is pretty much the most radical thing that exists here so because of that well dsa and then uh, cci is another mm-hmm. one here uh i think that's why dsa i think D- I, I i think dsas are, are better in smaller cities than they mm, are in bigger cities yes. because in bigger cities um there are definitely more radical groups that people yes. could be going to yes but dsa <laughs> is kind of a coalition in small cities because like it, it is the radical thing so you end up in a room with you know, just people who were, you know, campaigning for Bernie and then like Leninists and they're kind of hanging out. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And so it's kind of a cool space in that sense. Kind of to slightly pull it back to first reform, but I, I want to see more like Christian leftist spaces in like Des Moines, but they just don't fully exist. Like, there's Catholic worker, but Catholic worker isn't uh, going to like do anything too crazy. 
Right. Um, they're definitely like feeding the poor in the area, and that's great. And I've I've thought about trying to intern there after I graduate from college finally. Um, but you know that's that's pretty much it. There isn't like you know there isn't that that like commitment kind of thing like the first reformed kind of moment. It isn't really happening in Des Moines, I don't think. And I, I kind of wish it was. I kind of wish it was. Yeah. I mean, if you want a podcast to listen to about. Uh, you know whether or not a Christian left can even exist. Uh, the Magnificast is probably. Yeah, what's I, I can't. Yeah, can't recognize. Uh, can't recommend them enough. Uh, right. Yeah, uh, I <laughs> if 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 I've I've built up enough of a personality cult, like check out one of the early episodes where I'm even less coherent on um <laughs> on a text of heavy theory with those guys. Um, oh man, it was that was a good episode. Though, the War and <laughs> Cinema one, I liked it. I, <laughs> yeah, that that book's coming back for me. Like I'm I'm been, mm. you know taking notes towards a, a few. Different different projects and like i'm like okay i, I, I gotta own it yeah i gotta get back into that book <laughs> war and cinema paul virilio um it's yeah. it's good uh i gotta have those guys on we've we've you know we teased that would be that would be great we teased a collaboration um way back when but it hasn't really come about yet because they are they are busy dudes with a, a lot of plates spinning so right yeah if you're yeah uh, a christian with uh <laughs> or christian like personally i don't even really know what to define myself as like i, I kind of yeah. eschew labels but i'm definitely like my sort of native tongue is is uh is christianity for better and worse so i mean i still feel the need to um be apprised of what's going on in that world uh even though i, I don't really consider myself a you know confessional or practicing christian like i yeah um i, I i've just kind of gotten myself into the term christian agnostic Okay. agnostic christian i i kind of like that um yeah I because mean, i think that that best explains where i think i'm at yeah yeah i mean it's it's still a body of knowledge and ideas that i use to deal and you know interpret mm -hmm. the world and communicate with others so i mean it's it's got tremendous you know power uh in yeah. my mind but uh Right. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not really going to church or participating in a, in a Christian community. Um, because yeah, it's, it's hard to find spaces where I feel like I can be like, you know, comfortable or whatever. <laughs> right. Or, oh, yeah. or, you know, but then like, I also just like to sleep in on Sunday mornings. So that also, yeah. uh, there's that, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I, I've wanted to like, take a look at more of the Episcopal churches, um, in this area in Des Moines, because okay. a lot of the, a lot of them have been participating in BLM. And so it's like, even, even if it's going to be kind of some just wishy-washy liberal stuff, like that, that's more than most churches I've experienced have ever done, you know, actually being on the streets. Um, yeah. So there yeah. was something pretty, pretty powerful about one protest we had with a, you know, a reverend on the front lines blocking, uh, several uh, people of color from the cops, and that, that was a that was a powerful image in my head. Still, was, you know, all all out clergy attire, um, standing there. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. These things still have uh, some cachet in our culture. Like, I mean, mm. I, it's uh, if there's anything, it's like you know, don't stop paying attention to it because like there's enough people that still take this stuff seriously. Um, for yeah. better and worse that i mean you've you've got to deal with it at some point like i mean it's uh right i think we're we're seeing especially in like you know the online left and or circles we can be a part of like you know is it about developing the perfect leftist tendency like is it about per forming the perfect opinion or is it about finding a community and and trying to like 
Hmm. Right. Make something, um, you know, make sure, you <laughs> make sure the people around you are, are doing okay. Um, and that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's about what we can do. Yeah. Man. Um, yeah I, uh, there's one, you know, like one of the more optimistic readings of the end of first reformed is like getting that connection back, like, you know, discovering the radical potential of just basic human kindness, um, you yeah. know, wanting to, and you need to connect with the earth and other people and, and find love in your life to, to do that. I think, you know, how, however that manifests a, a certain romantic mm -hmm. relationship or a community you find yourself embedded in, but like, we're, we don't, we don't exist as, as individuals. And in fact, it's very unhealthy to, um, you know, take that as the default mm -hmm. and just live in your own mind. Uh, and Hey, I think, I think this is a good kind of like, you know, ending point, you know, yeah, like, uh, Ernst Toller and and uh, and Donald Trump and Donald Trump Jr. At least Ernst Toller at the beginning of the film, like they they sort of can represent uh, a, a similar sort of intellectual position, um, you know. And then Donald Trump being sort of the terminal endpoint of being a sort of uh, free floating ego with no connection to the outside world, and yeah. uh, you know, okay, so discovering you sort of are just an, <laughs> an ego or an unstable self that, uh, you know, is there a way out of that, you know? And I think um, First Reformed is like, you know, it takes it takes that position seriously. It's like, there is a blackness. You, you know, you are you are a bundle of, of seemingly contradictory traumas and thoughts and relationships. And, uh, mm. you know, Toller seems very concerned and like, living sort of the most honest version of a, of a disconnected archived sort of historical subject, uh, who, you know, is at least confronted with the choice of reconnecting with humanity or not. And, uh, yeah. Donald Trump is obviously the, yeah, the, the worst possible outcome of that position. So, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> uh, you know, that, that, that existential and theological doubt can be a fertile ground for both, uh, positive change and connection or uh absolute Terrible destruction <laughs> there's a god there's there's an old magnificast episode but i'm blanking on who they were talking about it's like the idea stuck with me even though i don't remember who the thinker was um and it kind of makes me think of this this topic right now but it, it was about the relationship of leftism and monasticism mm. um and i don't again i don't remember who it was but them specifically saying that true monasticism you're looking inward you find that god loves you and that there is love in the world and then through that monasticism and looking inward you begin to look outward like the goal of yeah. monasticism is eventually a, an outward ordeal and so like you could almost call like you know what trump or donald trump jr stuff as like um uh like like disordered monasticism as like the story of first reformed seems to be this journey of like true monasticism where it begins to look outward and it begins to be concerned right. with the material because if you truly believe God loves you or God exists, then what the fuck does that mean to the world? And you have to take that seriously. Yeah. I yeah. That's I a mean, good I, ending statement. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's good. I mean, right. And it, it, it just brings up all sorts of other stuff I want to dive into, but maybe we'll, we'll do a, follow-up or something i don't know yeah, yeah I, can, that's... I can always come back man <laughs> yeah dude absolutely i don't know yeah it's oh, yeah. uh it's good to you know even though they're <laughs> without the internet or the magnificast we probably would have never met but it's it's good to find like you know fellow travelers on uh yeah. on a on a very uh secluded little path i feel like <laughs> <laughs>
It's a very weird path. Yeah, sure. so like, yeah, this episode's going to alienate everybody, but hopefully, uh, you know, there's a few people some, that... Some other yeah, that, kindred spirits. Yeah, will... that vibe with it. Um, I don't know, yeah, dealing with some darkness, but I think, right, some real some real human joy and, and connection here, because um, that's, that's what it's all about. Uh, all right, yeah. Uh, wow. People should listen to Very Legal, Very Cool. <laughs> and follow Josiah on Twitter. His, his, his shit's good. <laughs> uh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks for listening to Odd Splice. Be sure to visit oddsplice.com for all of your Odd Splice needs. And don't forget to rate and review the show wherever podcasts are sold. Thanks, everyone.